Today we're actually going to conclude our series on 1 John. And then next Sunday we're going to start a new series. I've never been one for fancy titles. I'm just not super creative like that. But we're going to call our next series Triple Dare. And I'd love for you guys to join us for that. Um, I don't know how it was for you growing up. But the triple dare was like about as crazy as it got. Maybe you've seen the movie A Christmas Story with like the triple dog dare. Okay, but you know what I'm getting at. I mean, you could go to quadruple dare, but really, once you hit the triple dare, it, that's like where it stopped, you know? That was like the top floor. And uh, we're going to take four weeks and kind of lay out a challenge for, for you guys, for our church, that's really in line with the mission and the vision of our church here at Maricopa Springs. And I'd really love for you guys to be here and be a part of that. You know, summer is typically the time when people take vacations from school, from jobs, from work, from church. Uh, you know, and in Arizona, it's hot, so people get lethargic and lazy, and I don't blame you. I do that, too. Um, but uh, I really want to challenge you. If Maricopa Springs is your church, if you see yourself committed to uh, being a part of our, our community here, then you really need to be here for the next four weeks. And if for some reason you can't make it, we do offer our uh, audio online, so you're welcome to download that from our website and at least listen to it that way. Um, if for some reason you don't have access to it there, let me know. I'd be happy to make you a CD. I'll try and get it up there pretty quick after the, the service itself. So um, I just want to let you guys know that. Usually we don't really give you much of a, of a heads up as to what's coming next. It's kind of just like we show up the next Sunday and we're doing our next thing, but next week, triple dare. So please join us. Um, let me pray again, and then I'd love to jump into to 1 John chapter 5. And actually, um, uh, I was told this morning by Beth, maybe some of you guys are aware, um, there was a, a first grader named Samaj who a lot of people in the community have been kind of praying for and supporting his family um, because he had a brain tumor, and he passed away last night. So I've been asked to, to pray for his family as well, and I'll definitely do that as we pray together. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship. And that, that Lord, is the, the reason that we gather. It's to worship you. And I pray that as we come together in community, that we would remember uh, your sacrifice for us, the fact that you came to reach out to us. And I pray, God, that we would be a church that is committed to reflecting you in that way, to reaching out to people. And with that thought in mind, I pray for Samaj's family um, the Rayfords. God, I, I pray grace upon them. I pray for comfort in this time of loss and, and sorrow. Um, and I just pray that they would know your nearness. It, Lord, if they're not believers, I pray that you'd bring somebody into their lives who can uh, encourage them in hope through Christ. Uh, and Lord, please answer that prayer. And you know, that prayer spills over from their family into the families of people who are sitting here in this room this morning, Lord who need your comfort, who need your nearness, who need your presence as well. Um, God, dwell, dwell close to us, please, and answer the prayers of our hearts. And God, we pray too for this city, for Maricopa, that Maricopa Springs would be uh, a light in the darkness, a city on a hill, a place of refuge, and that you'd use us to reach this community and change this community. I pray too that you'd speak through me this morning, that your words would truly come alive as we look at Scripture, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let me read 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, and I'll put it up on the screens for you as well because I have a strange uh, translation and it's different. So, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. For this, I'm sorry, that we keep his commandments. And, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
First uh, John is really the love book. I mean, if you read through this book, uh, it's, it's just all about love. It's very simple. When I was taking Greek in college, it was the first book that we went to to translate all the way through because the language is very simple. It's very repetitive. It's essentially this idea that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, love God, love other people. And, uh, and I love it because it's this foundational principle of Christianity. What, if, if you want to boil Christianity down to the most simple idea, it's love God and love other people. But today, I really want to zero in on this idea that we see in verse 3, which is the first uh, two sentences. And, and this idea is that the love of God is keeping his commandments. So to put it another way, we prove our love for God when we keep his commandments and live in obedience to him. And I recognize, you know, sometimes this is kind of a tough gig getting up and talking to people because words like commandment and obedience are just not politically correct words. We live in a, a culture and a society that has an obsession with kind of the false god of reckless freedom. And, and that's kind of what defines America these days. And, you know, it, it, uh, it's this idea that nobody should tell me what I can and cannot do with my life. There shouldn't be any rules or boundaries. Freedom is this idea that I should be able to do whatever I would like to do. But if I can uh, show you with an illustration that, that might not be the case. You know, uh, my son Aiden, there are some commandments, some rules that I have at my house that I expect him to obey. And to come back to the verse real quick, the proof that we love God is that we keep his commandments. For my son Aiden, if he doesn't obey me, if he doesn't live by the commandments that I have in my house, then it's pretty clear he's not acting in love towards me. Now, we've got to give him a little bit of grace. He's a two-year-old. He's in that kind of developmental stage where he pushes the boundaries. He's trying to understand what rules are and why they exist. But as a general rule, if my children are consistently disobedient to the commandments that I give them, then they're not acting in love towards me. They're certainly not responding to my love for them as well. You know, as a parent, what kind of love do I have for my children if I don't give them commandments? And for those of you who, who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you probably know even if you're not a parent. But rules like running out into the street, okay? If I know that my kid could get creamed by a car, if he feels like he can just run anywhere he wants, and I know it's dangerous, and I don't tell my son to act with caution, if I don't put those rules and boundaries in place or those commandments and expect obedience, what kind of father am I? What kind of parent am I? Here's another one. If I know that life doesn't give you everything you want, if you simply sit down on the floor and scream and throw a fit, what kind of parent am I if I give my children everything they ask for when they throw a fit? You know, I, I don't know about you, but my experience is if I go to a, a, an employment interview and I don't get the job and I throw a fit, I'm still not going to get hired, right? So you know what I'm saying. Uh, in order for me to be a good and faithful parent, there are some commandments that I need to lay down for my children, and there's some obedience that I should expect. If I don't do that, I'm an awful parent. So... Although our culture has this obsession with kind of reckless freedom, and I, I use that word reckless freedom, it, that's not the case for everybody, but watch, watch a TV show like Jackass. I mean, these guys are just recklessly free. They, I, you watch them just destroy their lives for the sake of earning a couple bucks. 
But you get what I'm talking about, this idea of kind of reckless freedom. And uh, outside of, of Bible studies, you probably never hear the word commandment. I don't hear it at my job. I don't hear it on the news. I don't read it in books. You don't hear this word commandment. And, uh, and it's actually a good word when it's used properly, even though our culture reacts to it sort of adversely. Um, and if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me that there are some commandments that can actually be good, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and just lay this out. Okay, Come see me after the, the service, and, and I'd love to show you some of the commandments that Scripture has. And we'll put those up against kind of the, the typical uh, idea of freedom. And I'll, I'll let you go ahead. You go live two, lo- two months of your life living by the commandments of Scripture. And then you take the second month and you live however you want to, as recklessly and without obedience to God's word as you would like to. And let's talk after the end of those two months. And you tell me what your experience was like. Because I think that at the end of that time, you would come back to me and you would say, you know what, I think there's value in some of those commandments. Things like uh, honor your father and mother. Things like don't steal. Things like don't be drunk all the time, etc., etc., etc. And you can go live a month of disobedience and a month of obedience. And then let's talk. Let's see what your, what your experience was like in that experiment. Okay? But the point is that God proves his love for us by giving us commandments. And even more importantly than that, we prove our love for God by living in obedience to him and following his commandments. Now, there's a bunch of different commandments in Scripture. And, um, you know, a few weeks ago I summed them up by saying love God and love others. I could go through a whole bunch of them. Uh, You know, I I mentioned a couple of them. Um, But, uh, you know, what I want to focus on today is a, a particular commandment that's kind of got me fired up in the last week. And I'm going to put it up on the screen, and it's a commandment that inspires the mission and the vision of this church. It's really, you know, we talk about belong, believe, become as kind of the three parts of our mission and our vision, but at the heart of it, this is what it really boils down to for us. And this is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And maybe you've heard this before. It's called the Great Commission. If you spend any time in church, that's typically what they've called it. So let me read this, and this is Jesus talking to his followers. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, like I said, this moment, we refer to it as the Great Commission. And it's the moment when Jesus passed on his mission on earth to his disciples And he sent them out to carry on his purposes, to do what he had come to do, to do what he had trained them to do for the three years where he was discipling them. And he reminds us at the start of this great commission that there's no power, no power unseen or seen in any realm of existence that's higher than his power. Not the president, not nuclear bombs, not the internet, Whatever you may say, there is no power on earth or in uh, eternity that is higher than his power. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And while for a time he allows 
the show to be run by other powers, human or demonic powers in this world. The book of Revelation reminds us that one day he's going to return in full glory in all of his power and might and authority. And he's going to wreck shop and he's going to subject every realm of nature, unseen and seen, to his rule. That's what scripture tells us. And Revelation, as confusing as it is, is a book that sort of just makes me sweat with intensity because that's what it shows. A Christ who comes not in meekness when he comes the second time, but who comes in power and authority. Now, the implication of his pointing this out to us in verse 18 is he follows it and says, Go therefore. You've heard that phrase. What's the therefore, therefore, right? Verse 19. He says that he's lending us his power and authority on our mission. So he says, my mission was to come and to save humankind, to offer love and forgiveness through the cross and to spread that message. And now, as I commission you to go and make disciples, remember that I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you in my own power and authority, the very power and authority of Christ that raised him from the dead. So in other words, for those of us who are here and our mission in life is to live in obedience to God's commands and to go and to make disciples, we don't carry on that mission or that vision by our own power or authority. We carry it by the very authority of God himself. Now there was a day, maybe you've heard the saying, don't shoot the messenger. There was a day when uh, the world was ruled by kings and queens. And they would send a messenger to the people to tell them what their uh, laws were or what their rules or what their ruling on a certain thing would be. They would communicate to their people through a messenger. And in those days, if you killed the messenger of the king or the queen, it was an act equal to killing the king or the queen themselves. Maybe you've seen the movie 300. I'm not recommending you see it, but maybe you've seen it. There's that scene where the guy kicks the other dude in the hole, right? And it basically starts this massive war because the guy was just the messenger. And to kill the messenger was to essentially say, if the king or the queen was present with me, I would kill the king or the queen. And it was as if to say that the, that the messenger carried the power and the authority of the king himself or the queen herself. Now, I say that as a reminder to remember whose mission we're on. You know, as I talk about this commandment this morning, it's not my mission. It's not my commandment to go and make disciples. I'm not standing up here saying Maricopa Springs needs to be about carrying the message of Christ to make disciples because it's my mission or my authority. I don't have any power or authority. And if you came here seeking that from me, you came to the wrong place. It's not Maricopa Springs' mission. It's not Mitch's mission or merely the mission of our leadership team at Maricopa Springs. It's the mission of the all-powerful Lord of this age, Jesus, the Messiah. And he proved that power and authority when he put death in its place and he subjected it underneath his feet. There's this prophecy from Psalm 110. I love it. It says, Sit at my right hand, in reference to Jesus, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Isn't that a great image of Christ? Jesus sat in power and authority at the right hand of God, and he came, he, he laid down that power and authority, and he came and he subjected himself 
to live among us as flesh, to be man. And he died a sinner's death on the cross, even though he was sinless, and he rose from the dead. And in that act, he put death and sin and evil and Satan under his feet like a freaking footstool, just laying back, lounging with his feet up on sin and evil and death and Satan. Now, like I said before, it's only a matter of time before he returns from his seat in glory where he went after his ascension to exercise his power and authority over his creation. And in the meantime, and we don't know how long it's going to be, in the meantime, he's left us with the burden of carrying on this mission to tell the world of grace and redemption in Jesus through the cross. That's the message. Grace and redemption in Christ through the cross. And here's the all-important mission that he gave his followers. That's the mission behind why our church struggles to do what we struggle to do every single week. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What a great mission. And that right there is why Maricopa Springs exists. To take non-believing, irreligious people who live just a stone's throw away from us, people who are far from God or people who just don't even care, to show them the power of the cross, the beauty of the resurrection, and by whatever means possible, help them become disciples of Christ. I talk about this a lot, but there's nothing greater in life that you can do. And if it's true, there's nothing great, greater in eternity that you can do either. And this is the commandment that I want us to consider as we're looking at 1 John chapter 5 this morning. This commandment from Matthew 18, or I'm sorry, Matthew 28. Let me read verse 3 for you uh, again from 1 John. Verse 3 of chapter 5, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You know, some people think that the commands of God are actually going to restrict your life, make your life less fun. It actually doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you can't drink and smoke and have fun. It just says don't live irresponsibly, don't live in debauchery, don't drink to the point of drunkenness, etc., etc. Now, that's just one example. I think a lot of people think that Christians stand for don't drink, don't have sex, don't have fun, and don't smoke. And that's not the case. You know, John says his, his commandments are not burdensome. Now, our church as a whole, as far as keeping this commandment to go in and make disciples goes, I'd say that we're doing okay. We're doing okay. An, an honest assessment. I cut us some slack because we're kind of a small church. And the smaller the church, the more uh, of an uphill struggle you have. You know, we had some Sundays here where there were eight people in this room. And when people walk into a room that holds 120 people and there's eight people in here, they think this is a dying church and I'm out of here, right? Not a growing church. They don't know that the week before we only had six. So we grew, we grew by 25% that Sunday. <laughs> but what, like I was saying, I'd cut us some slack because we're, we're a small church. You know, there's more labor. There's more uphill work you have to do. Eventually you catch some momentum and you explode like we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts, where people are getting saved by the thousands because of what God's doing in their lives. 
but I think that there's two ways as a church that we're going to accomplish this mission, that we're going to be obedient to Christ's call to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Two ways. And let me say before I get there, that if you hear this mission to go and make disciples this morning, and it doesn't excite or intrigue you, then I think you're probably in the wrong church. I'm not going to tell you to leave. You're, you're welcome to stay as long as you would like. We're definitely not going to throw you out. But I think eventually you're going to get tired of our church. You're going to get tired of the commitment that we ask for you, from you. You're going to get tired of the vision that we keep mentioning to reach lost people. And you're going to end up sitting in a seat here week after week feeling sort of purposeless because you don't buy into the vision of our church. And you're probably going to end up leaving anyway. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of be sort of courageous and say, if you don't buy into the vision of this church, when we say, go and make disciples of Christ, then you might want to start looking around town for another church. And I hope they have the same vision, but you might want to start looking around. If it doesn't fire you up, or at least pique your curiosity. I understand that a lot of people in this room are sort of new to the idea of being a Christian and pursuing Christ and being a disciple. You know, you kind of sat here and you're like, oh, he's going to talk about commandments this morning. Oh, no. I get that. And if that's you, that's fine. But if, if, if talking about this this morning doesn't at least pique your curiosity, then I think you need to start praying that God would call you to this mission. I don't want you to leave. I'd prefer that you begin to ask God to break your heart for people who live in Maricopa who are lost, to call you to his mission, to give you a greater purpose for your life than work an eight-to-five job and buy more stuff so you can pay more credit card bills. That's not a vision or a mission for life. So, Back to the two primary ways where we're going to accomplish this mission as a church, together, as a community. The first one is through attractional ministry. And maybe you've heard this phrase before. All that means is that if we do enough advertising, if we put out enough signs, if we buy enough billboards and put enough stickers on the back of our cars, eventually we're going to get it into the minds of enough people's heads to come and check out our church, and our church is going to grow. That's what advertising does. That's why people make billions of dollars designing advertising. Because you hear a message over and over and over again. This morning, Leanne was playing this children's music, and she made me listen to it for like 30 minutes straight, the same song, because she needed to learn it for this morning. And I was doing something totally different. But by the end of that 30 minutes, I had it memorized too. That's what it does. And so what I'm saying is we could put up enough signs around town that people eventually come to our church. And that's not a bad thing. To some extent, we're going to do that. We have a dozen signs that we put out every morning. We've been talking about maybe doing a mailer, you know, those kinds of things. It's not a bad thing. And I, honestly, I hate putting up all those signs. But 6 in the morning on a Sunday, you know, it's just something we've got to do, especially when we're here and people don't know how to get here. But anyway, uh, it's not a bad thing. If our church grows that way, great. That's people who maybe never would have come to church who saw a sign one morning and said, why not? And maybe they come back the next week because we have donuts. Great. <laughs> Whatever it takes so that people hear that message that Jesus loves them. God cares. Christ died for them. 
He rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He, he showed his power over death in the resurrection. And he came to free them from the chains of sin and death. That's a great message. And if it takes donuts to do that, we'll keep buying donuts. But the only bummer with our church accomplishing its mission that way, with online advertising and mailers, etc., etc., is that you get robbed of one of the best parts of being a Christian. I honestly believe that. We could put on cool services. We could bribe people with mugs to come back. But if we do that, we may grow, but you're going to miss out on the best part of following Christ. Jesus didn't say as his final words to his followers, now that I've risen from the dead and I've displayed my power and authority, go and gorge yourselves on scripture and form little inbred communities where nobody can get in and nobody can get out that are so uncomfortable for visitors that they never want to come back. And let your pastors do all the work about telling people about Jesus. That's not the mission that he gave the church. His final words were to leave, I'm sorry, the final words that he left with all of his followers were this mission. You go, therefore, and make disciples. He didn't say if you're in full-time ministry or if you're not too busy or if your budget allows for it. He just said, go and make disciples. And it's an urgent, urgent matter. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Put that back up there for me, Ron. And... Uh, and it should become a little bit more clear for us. This is the sentence that starts, for everyone who has been born. So, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We don't see it, but there is a constant war being waged all around us for the eternal souls of the people who live on this planet. I'm reading this book right now, and it's the story of a guy who planted a church, and maybe that's part of the reason why I'm so fired up. But he tells this story about his three-year-old daughter. I might cry telling this story because it really messes me up. He tells this story about his three-year-old daughter acting up over the course of about a week. And he's disciplining his daughter, and, and he's, he's trying to be a good parent and to teach her that it's not appropriate to throw fits and to act like this and, and to behave in such an awful way. And after the course of about three or four days... He's up for some reason at like 2 in the morning, and he goes into his daughter's room, and she's awake, wide awake. And he can just tell that she's uncomfortable. She's, she's you know, kind of stressed out, if you can say that about a 3-year-old. And he, he says to his daughter, what is going on? How come you're not asleep? And she says, Daddy, I haven't slept in three days. And he's like, why have you not slept? And, she's, and she said to him, there are some bad angels in my room, and they come at night, and they tell me that if I fall asleep, they're going to kill you. And so here's a man who's trying to plant a church to reach people. He's on that mission. And the enemy is not assaulting him. The enemy is assaulting his three-year-old daughter to make his life miserable through making her life miserable to distract him from the mission. And we don't see it, but there's this constant war being waged around us for the eternal souls of the people who live on this planet. And it sounds like something out of an incredibly bizarre sci-fi movie. I'll give you that. It really does. But it's true. It's true. And Jesus said that on the faith of his followers, 
he would build his church and that we'd go kicking down the very gates of hell in victory. That's a great passage, isn't it? So we could wage this war by advertising and throwing little truth bombs into the enemy's lines, you know, with little pamphlets in the mail. And we may do that at some point. And, and we could do it that way. But what we read from 1 John 5.4 is this idea that there's this perilous adventure where we can overcome the world and experience the thrill of victory through our faith. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? There's nothing in this life like the joy of seeing someone come to faith in Christ. There really isn't. I promise you, if you've never experienced it, pray that God would let you experience it. Because it is thrilling to see somebody surrender their life and understand grace and forgiveness and have new hope into eternity through the power of the resurrection. So, and, and honestly, that's why I'm excited every time a visitor walks through our door. Because I hope that they'll hear this message and give their life to Christ. It's not that we filled one more seat. It's that maybe this person doesn't yet know the gospel. And maybe they'll hear it here. Now, the second way that we can build a church and be obedient to the command of Jesus to go and make disciples is through what's called a missional lifestyle. And Maybe you've heard that term before, maybe not. Let me unpack it for you. It's kind of a fancy word, but all it really means is that people in our church catch a fire for the vision of telling other people about Christ and living that out. And I'm talking about evangelism where you don't just give people a Bible tract and man, I was a server at a restaurant, and like the worst thing ever was when people wouldn't leave you a tip, but they'd leave you a Bible track. So like, put your money where your mouth is. But I'm not talking about evangelism where you just give people a Bible track. I'm talking about getting dirty in the lives of other people, praying for God to open doors of opportunity, and being intentional about telling people who Jesus is. One of the reasons that I wanted to start this church is I worked at a church of 35,000 people outside of Chicago. Phenomenal gig. Great. I had a budget for my student ministry that our church here probably won't hit for like another decade, right? And, and I was paid unbelievably well to do it. But I realized that their model was you bring your friend to church and the pastor tells him about Jesus and gets him saved. And I felt like people were missing out. And so being intentional about telling people who Jesus is, getting messy in their lives. It's not just evangelism, which is handing out a Bible tract, but it's also not just making new friends, just friendship building without intentionality. It's engaging with people until you earn the right to tell them about Jesus and having a faith that God can and wants to use you to bring his message of salvation to people who are far from him. And Maricopa Springs is going to be a victorious church. I believe that with all my heart. If I didn't believe that, I would have quit. I would have quit a year ago or two years ago. We're going to be a victorious church. Like this passage says, believers will be victorious. We're going to be a church that overcomes the world. I believe that. And we want you on this God-given mission with us. We need you desperately. Mitch and I tried for a long time to do it all by ourselves, and it stinks. <laughs> but the truth is, 
We'll do it all by ourselves if we have to. God is going to do it with or without you. He's going to do it with or without me. But I want to be a part of it. And I hope that you want to be a part of it with me. It's up to you to decide if you're in or you're out. And if you're out, that's fine. You can keep coming here. But I think eventually you're going to find a place where you just don't really belong. Not because we shun you, but because you're just not interested in what's taking place. And if you want to know what it means to have victory in Jesus and live your life with purpose and mission beyond work or the job that you hate or the bills that you wish you didn't have to pay, then draw a line in the sand here and now and make a decision today to, to come and build this church with us. Not just Maricopa Springs, but the church, the bride of Christ. And not for your glory, not for my glory, not for the glo- uh, but for the glory of the King of Kings. That's who we're going to do it for. The glory of Christ, the King of Kings, whose return is imminent. could happen today before you even get home. Before I finish this sentence, it didn't, darn it, but it could. (laughs) And then once you've decided to join us, if that's the decision that you're going to make, then pray like I think John suggests you should pray in faith. That God's going to use your life to bring the gospel of Christ to Maricopa and then Phoenix and then potentially the ends of the earth through what he's going to do through your life through your selling out to this mission and this vision. And I'm going to say it again. If my message struck a chord in your heart today, then you've got to be here for the next four weeks. Even if it was just a little tickle, please join us the next four weeks because I think this is just a teaser to what this idea of triple dare is going to be all about. Let me pray for us. God, we respond in, in love for you because of your great love for us. And God, I pray with all of my heart on my knees before you this morning that Maricopa Springs would be a church that catches this vision, that lives on a mission to reach people. God, some 48, 50,000 people live in Maricopa. And only a fraction of those go to church. And probably a smaller number still actually believe that you are their Lord and Savior. God, this is an incredible opportunity, a wonderful mission field for us. And Lord, I pray that you would grow our church through attractional ministry. I pray we would put on great Sunday services where people come and worship you and are encouraged and love to eat our donuts. But God, I pray too that you would use us individually, our lives, in relationships with our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family members, the lady who checks us out at the grocery store, to invest in people's lives, to encourage them, to challenge them, to help them consider that there may just be a God who loves them, who died on the cross for them. And God, I pray that people would surrender their lives to you because of what we do, because of how we live our lives, and because of this church living passionately for that mission and that vision. God, please do that. Answer that prayer for us. And we turn our hearts to you in worship now, Lord. Amen.